What's up, everybody? Jacob here, co-host of the Split Take Podcast. I'm coming to you at the beginning of this episode just to give you some updates about the podcast, about the YouTube channel, and just in general what's going on. So Chandler and I actually recorded this episode all the way back in late July, early August, and I'm just getting around to editing it now. You know, life got in the way, all that sort of stuff. Uh, But what was really cool is that we've actually recorded some really great content in between since when we recorded this and, you know, now. So I have a bunch of episodes that have been back cataloged that I'm going to be working on editing. And hopefully we're going to be getting those out fairly regularly in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. But this is actually episode 75 of the Split Take podcast, which is pretty epic. Uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about the movies that Chandler and I picked up at the July Barnes & Noble Criterion sale. We're then going to go into our usual movie diary section where we just kind of share what we were watching back then. Uh, little reviews and just, uh, you know, freeform discussion. Then we're going to go on to our main topics of discussion, which is going to be Steven Soderbergh's new movie, uh, No Sudden Move, which was, of course, newer when we first recorded this episode, but better late than ever. And then, of course, our 2012 Sight and Sound Best Movies of All Time list movie of the week is going to be Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. I'm really looking forward to uh, taking a look at that conversation. And of course, we'd love to hear your opinions on any of the movies we talk about. So, you know, leave a comment, uh, like and subscribe if you like our content and you want to see more. And without further ado, here is episode 75 of the Split Take Podcast. I start? Yes. Oh, no, I start. I was about to say. I start. Off to a good start here. Uh, (laughs) What's up, everybody? I'm Jacob. I'm Chandler. And welcome to the Split Take Podcast, where today we will be discussing Steven Soderbergh's new film, No Sudden Move, along with Alfred Hitchcock's classic 1978 film, Rear Window. And Rear Rindo is, of course, on the BFI Sight and Sound 2012 list, which we go through every week. And that's our movie of the week um, uh, to also a uh, few few housekeeping notes. Um, we do have a discord, which tends to be more used this uh, as yeah, actually have people in it. Yeah, yeah actually, have people a little on Minecraft it. clan. Uh, we have a little Minecraft clan, although some people join uh, who don't don't play Minecraft and uh, like friend of the podcast nick johnson who was just on the uh inside bo burnham episode which i mm-hmm. finally published after a month um the other day so that is i tend to i try to put the invitation link to the to uh, the discord in youtube show notes and on uh splittake.com sometimes i forget so just go to an ep- another episode will have it or whatever uh, <laughs> we, we would be very curious to to hear from fans on there specifically. Um, or you can always comment. This video is, of course, on YouTube in video version. Or, of course, you could be listening to this in podcast form on, on the many places that, that that could exist. Wherever you're at, it'd be uh, pretty epic if you subscribed. Uh, and then and leave a YouTube, review. Uh, leave a review. If, if you're on iTunes, that helps a lot, quite a bit. Uh, tell, tell iTunes that uh, you watched it, at least. That's helpful, even if you don't like what we have to say. Um, which I can understand. We're, we're like pretty, we we're correct say. most of the time. We're correct. Uh, most of the time. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. Today, today's episode, I feel like I, I a thought occurred to me that maybe I'm the long term villain of this podcast. Oh, I, I knew that from day one. Oh, oh, because because <laughs> I've been trying to push the story, the the narrative that you you are the contrarian of of cinema i really don't think i am oh no i know i don't know there's... i push it more than it it, it, it is a reality um and perhaps it's it's a cover-up method for the fact that i i have a lot of criticism for for famous 
well-liked movies. Mm-mm. Yeah, I was I was going through my letterbox the other day and I thought, damn, my opinions are kind of boring. I don't I don't aside from Raiders of the Lost Ark, I don't really have any zingers. Yeah, and you you've slowly come to terms with a few things. Um The Shining, I guess, maybe. I I'm close. I'm close on The Shining. I'm very and, and But even that's the thing. It. Yeah, I was never like I never hated it. I've just never been one of my favorites, but Yeah. I suppose the only one I can think of off the top of my head that is uh, sacrilegious to me uh, beyond the Raiders thing. I, I, it's not that bad. Let's be honest. <laughs> we're not talking about we're not talking about um, you denying the greatness of Citizen Kane here. But uh, yeah, Andre Rublev. Oh, yes. OK. Tarkovsky. Yes. We'll get there eventually. And I have a feeling it was just wrong time. Right. And, I was and sick I, with I COVID. Yeah. That has to be the case because it's a great movie. It can't be any <laughs> it other. Has to be the it case. Can't be any other way. Oh, are we doing a um? Do you know? Are we? Do you have any criterions that you bought that you want to show? I do. I do. So uh, the other things we're going to be talking about this episode before we get to the the main events, the reviews, um, Barnes and Noble Criterion pickups. It's the uh, the July sale, so we're going to be going through what we we've bought. Uh, short, hopefully short. We we have been trying to. Yes. Truncate our, our movie diary, what we've been watching, a uh, little short reviews for all those. And um, I do have a, a critic from the Sight and Sound. List oh, yes. That we can talk about real quick, um, which I think. Sure. Let's go for it. Um, and of course, in the show notes, I will. Excuse me. Try <laughs> to. Uh, if you're watching this in podcast form, it, it's less likely that I will be putting uh, time codes to where everything is at. You can just kind of skip ahead and figure it out. Um, but if you're on YouTube, I always put down time codes of like where everything is. It's separated into chapters. So if you want to skip the, the the movie diary part, don't complain to me. It's too long. You can just fucking <laughs> skip it. Look at that. Um, yeah, yes. You've doubled down yes. on your, your villain arc. <laughs> I've heard the complaints <laughs> and I, I've given you a way around them, but I am ignoring. Essentially. <laughs> so without further ado, let's talk about what we picked up for uh the Barnes and Noble sale this week. Okay, you I, I forgot one in downstairs. So I gotta go. Oh, okay. So I, I will keep the this audience entertained uh until then. Um I'm currently what am I currently doing? I reorganized ah, yes. So today uh you may notice slightly different if you are a uh, viewer of the, the video of the podcast. I'm wearing glasses today. I actually uh wear contacts most of the time but today is a glasses day because it is saturday morning and i can't be bothered to put on my contacts which are old because i need to order new ones i reorganized my uh my criterion and and blu-ray collection shelf there is uh there's actually more shelves in other rooms with dvds and a few more blu-rays um but uh you might have noticed because i got more blu-rays from the uh the criterion sale that the uh the shelf yet again moved Oh, I didn't even see that. I was keeping people entertained while you were gone. (laughs) So I'm going to go, you know what, to change things up, because I feel like this is an episode for changing the order, because you usually go first. Um, I'm sure you got more, too, because I only got two. No, I only have two, too. Oh, Um, there we go. Two separate occasions. So the first one, uh, I made the I made good on a threat or a promise, depending on how you want to see that. Last episode, when we talked about uh, Robert Brasson's pickpocket i said uh oh. Jean, 
which uh, based was earlier on in the the sight and sound list we reviewed it and i was like this is good um and it's slowly been warming up on me and so i i, I said i was going to purchase it and i did and it I'm is very a great happy cover. i did great cover uh not not a lot of bonus features but enough that i think it's worth it and I, I haven't quite gotten back to uh to watching it yet but um i'm excited and i will check in when we do about how it, it stacks up on the second viewing and how it stacks up against uh pickpocket so funny thing about large john i just learned was that i was going through a list of movies that had been booed at can mm-hmm. because the can <laughs> film recently list. yeah and large john was one of them and i thought of all people brisson would be you know applauded but I think one of the things I didn't mention last uh, episode with Pickpocket is I think Brisson's um, style, his style of of kind of distancing you from the the characters and the plot using uh, cinematic devices. I think it lends itself to talking more about like systems and society and like big picture yeah. things. And and Larjean is interesting because money is potentially the main character in the film. I mean, there is a character you follow for quite a bit of the film, but it doesn't start with yeah. that character. And it is more so about the, the corrupting influence of money and a bunch of other things. And I think that is why it's kind of stuck with me. And I can't I really pin down like psychologically. I think pickpocket might have more going on, but it's not interesting. It doesn't coalesce around a singular idea or anything particularly yeah. interesting to, to say or, or um, anything singular to say to kind of pick apart and analyze anyway. So that, that, that's what I feel about Largent, and I'll, we'll see if um, see if I like it even more in my second viewing. Quite possibly do. Um, coming up on the podcast, I think, Chandler, it's time for us to watch uh, A Woman Under the Influence. We've been putting off uh, Cassavetes for some time, and I thought, well, maybe it's finally time to become the proud owner, owner of my least favorite film, Opening Night, and I got Whoa! the Cassavetes box set. Nice. Um, that's a hell is, of a box set it is oh my god every single so thing. much shit on it not enough commentaries you can never have enough commentaries you know it's weird but the, other than that the influence commentary was done by the guy who did the score which is weird to me and the the recording i think like he was yeah the onset recorder which yeah. is if you watch the movie you you'll see but it's also because like cassavetes films is his movies and and, and the way that he just kind of lets the actors do things on set yeah and so there's not much planning regarding like camera work and all that and so i feel like the sound recordist for cassavetti's film has to be like constantly on their feet and just able to adapt to any situation and so i i'm curious to hear what uh, yeah uh, they have to say they also got a like a three-hour documentary on that thing three-hour documentary and i was astounded by this i'm really glad i bought it i'm not the biggest cassavetti's fan but this this is making me interested. The booklet, like this is one of the, the most jam-packed booklets I've seen. Even even compared to like the Fellini or the, the Bergman box set. This is pretty decent for what you're getting. There's at least two like essays, reviews, oh, whatever yeah. it is about every single film, which is uh pretty it's epic. A thick book. Yeah. The only one I haven't seen on here is Faces. Faces. So I'm Faces. gonna watch that. Um I've seen I saw Shadows way back in like sophomore year of college yeah, for an independent I know film who's class. Seen it. Yeah, everyone I know who's seen it has seen it in a class. Yeah, and, and it didn't it didn't strike good. me then. And yeah, it's, as, it's okay. 
but it's Cassavetes. Like, at least there's something interesting to get out of it. And I just wasn't mm-hmm. in a place to get anything out of it. It was yeah. like, oh, well, that's low budget and I guess cool. Thanks. And then I, and then I forgot, probably forgot. So uh, it'll essentially be a uh, a first reviewing. Um, and I'll be I'm very excited to watch A Woman Under the Influence again. I watched a little bit of it last night, just as like I usually whenever I buy a Criterion, like to pop in a disc and just really just see that's it. interesting. It's Every criteria looks like. OK, yeah, just yeah, uh, to get a sense. So it's not like just sitting on my shelf doing nothing for a long time. I feel more comfortable leaving it on the shelf than for a bit because at least yeah. I checked it out. And that's Wait, what I got. That's what that's I got. good. Uh, actually, technically, I got three things, but at, you know, not wanting to run downstairs oh. for the third time. I'm going to. What? What's up? Sorry, I did get uh, two non-criterion things. I was in. Oh, uh, no, go for it. No, let's see. It. Let's uh, see it. Target the other day. And I got Target's got some good deals. They do. Best Buy, too. As we know, 2019 or, or as we've expressed quite a few times, 2019 is the the bumper crop year for cinema. Uh, so I've been collecting a bunch of movies yeah. from that year. Even movies I'm not, not the biggest fan of. I have a 4K copy of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though I'm not the biggest fan of that film. Still love it. Don't worry about it, Chandler. It's a good movie. Um, <laughs> but speaking of a movie that even I can agree is it's not quite as good. Still good. Still, um, I'm surprised it was made to begin with. And that is Joker. And I found a, a very nice steelbook? steelbook copy of Joker. So I was like, hey be interesting to, to give it a rewatch after all this time um it has some interesting bonus features i am uh personally acquainted with the cinematographer uh, larry share um great guy and so i thought i'd grab a copy hmm. and the other thing is one of the maybe underrated or underseen or whatever it just needs more attention and perhaps ayao miyazaki as a whole needs more attention but i got the steelbook of the wind rises is one of my oh. favorites is and is a beautiful film and you should watch it i've seen it well i, I meant you <laughs> as in the audience oh, not, not you i i i could have swore i've seen the steelbook for that and i thought it looked different that's interesting yeah. they are uh, the limited edition uh what is it oh, okay g kids steelbooks and i i think i think i might just need to get all of them because i don't know how limited they are and i want all of them. I only have. Oh God! I have Howl's Moving Castle and Castle in the Sky. And I have Wind Rises and Kiki's Delivery Service. So if we pool our resources, we're we're halfway through his filmography. Do they have a Porco Rosso one? I haven't seen one. Oh, came with a, a nifty little pamphlet. Uh, Whoa! No, maybe maybe they don't. I'm not sure if this is all of the the steel books, but this is ooh. Mm, no, it. Oh, no, I don't know. Maybe this is. So I see Castle in the Sky. Um, I don't see. I don't see Porco Rosso. Don't see Porco Rosso. It looks like they're, those are just Ghibli movies in general, though, not specifically Miyazaki's. Yes, because they have, unfortunately, Earwig and the Angry <laughs> Witch. Um, no amount of that is worth no amount of money. If you see it on sale for one cent, it is potentially a good deal. But only that. <laughs> I still I have morbid curiosity, but I'm not going to let it get the best of me. All right. Now I'm done. Uh, so I got three criterions and I'm going to need your cooperation for one of them because I'm not going to go run downstairs for the third time. But what I got was uh, Vampire. Ah, 
So do you want um, me to grab mine? Yeah, because oh, okay. I because we got to show off the booklet. Because thinking, you know, speaking of of thick booklets, just show them, Jacob. Show them how thick that booklet is. It is a thick boy. Here's the the criterion. Here's by comparison. Here's my face. <laughs> Here, um, nice solid feel to it. Um, the first, it comes with this nice little um, disc and thing. Little actual like production booklet. Yeah. Uh, Creepy old man, woman, yeah, gross. person, spooky. Uh, but then it comes with this this booklet. It is, it's very thick. It's a book. It, so it was it was made around the silent era where screenplays weren't necessarily they didn't have a, a, um, a consensus format. So he basically wrote it as a short horror story. Two hundred fourteen pages. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So you get a book and a movie. Um, I wasn't aware until recently that this is the same guy who directed uh, Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ordette. And Ordette. You haven't seen Ordette, right? I have not. We are going to watch that for the BFI list. Um, I figured, yeah. And I'm curious to to return to it. He's Dreyer is one of the most interesting, like only film enthusiast director. Like there's some directors, um, Godard, that even if you're even if you're uh, just a, a film enthusiast, but more like a mainstream film enthusiast, you know who Godard is. Yeah, but Carl Theodore Dreyer, that's a name you have to you have to be really into. Foreign independent film to really know what that name means. And, uh, I want to explore his filmography a bit more and I've seen Ordet. And I'm, I want to rewatch it. I'm excited <laughs> for that. I do love my religious movies. Uh, I also got this, John Waters' Polyester. That's great. You watched that? That was last night, right? <laughs> I did. I did. So uh, I really like John Waters. Um, I've only seen this and um, uh, Multiple Maniacs. And Multiple Maniacs was ultra low budget. I wanted to pick up this, one, because that cover is amazing. It's great. Um, two, because this was his first studio movie. So it came like 10 years after his first movie. Yeah, 81. It's still a very low budget. $300,000 for him. That's very low. Um, and I was just curious because I wanted to see how his film style would work in a in a studio um, setting. Um, the, the movie itself, I'll talk about later, but the actual criterion shitload of features. Um, it's got a scratch and sniff card. Odorama, that's um, pretty cool. Did you did you scratch and sniff? Yes. All yes. right. And I wow. Let me tell you. I'm just. I'm not going to spoil all of them. But there is uh, burnt rubber, um, dog shit, um, fart, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, perfume, fish, pizza. I don't. It, wow. Oh, that's, someone. That's some. Some girl gets her head stuck in an oven, and that's one of them. Whatever. Uh, and also, no booklet because it comes with a little poster. Oh, fun! Is there? Well, I guess any... there's stuff on the back. Yeah. Okay. There's stuff on the back. Yeah. I'd be surprised if there was. But you know, very few uh, criterions I feel have it. I know Lewin Davis has a poster. Tempopo. Um, Tempopo has a poster, and the the third criterion I picked up today also had a poster, and that is 
Night of the uh, Living wow. Dead. Wow. Speaking of Tampopo, I've always wanted to get that poster framed, but then I couldn't read the essay, and I like that occasionally. Maybe How I'll long is the essay? Second. Well, I, I guess the essay is online. I guess I could get it framed, but it's all creased. <laughs> I'm wondering now if there's yeah, a no, place to get the poster that's the, online. That's the shitty part. Because I do like that. Just to be fun. To I, I, Popo. I do have to share this. Yes. About, this is my only qualm with this criterion. Here's the, here's the logo. That is annoying. <laughs> that is incredibly annoying. What are you going to do? I think this is a beautiful one. I mean, just the art is great. It's a digipack. It yeah. was it's one of those that was just screaming my name and I'm looking at the special features. Shit ton. Yeah. Shit ton. Yeah. It's one that's, like that's two... constantly calling my name and I, I just never pulled it. Have you seen it? Pick it up. No, I haven't. It's I hate zombie movies and this is like the one I like. Um, it's got like two commentaries. It's got a roundtable discussion with Frank Darabont, Robert Rodriguez and Guillermo del Toro. It's got a poster. It's got a, a working print version of the movie. It's got dailies, which that weirdly enough, that was the thing I was most um, excited for. Just seeing dailies from a movie being made in the 60s. I don't know. Interviews, TV spots, radio spots. Um, and but, but what's crazy is that the, the actual restoration of the movie was supervised by Romero right before he died. Oh, wow. Yeah, crazy pretty cool but uh yeah that's what i got i i'm telling myself i can't go more i i was gonna say i was uh, last week i said i was only gonna get mirror box set in the human condition but i've still yet to get um secrets and lies and i've only been to one barnes and noble i want to go to more but also so well you have two weeks left so maybe yeah. you can you can social so so show Show some restraint for one week. <laughs> and then on the, the last, what is it, Friday of the month or something? Yeah. Or Wednesday. You, well, you like to go on Wednesdays. I, I do. Know. I do. That's when I get paid. But also, I'm thinking about picking up a business expense because at the Barnes & Noble I go to, there is a beautiful Blu-ray copy of Sancho the Bailiff. It's nice, Sancho, too. Secrets and Lies. That'd, that'd be a good sale. Let's see the critic. Ah, the critic. Yes. So do you know who Jonathan Rosenbaum is? Nope. Okay. It's a name that I'm familiar with uh, occasionally. He is a, the f head film critic, or he was the head critic for uh, the Chicago Reader from 1987. Until he put out this list. To 2008. <laughs> uh, he actually retired before he voted on the 2012 list damn um, he is someone who apparently uh the the famous and controversial jean-luc godard called uh one of the best critics working today he's like andre bazan which what what does that mean jean what does that mean jean explain yourself <laughs> uh anyway so he voted on Critics list, obviously, I picked him because he voted for Rear Window, and that's our movie for today, and that, that felt somewhat appropriate. Here is, I'm sending you the link to what he voted for. I'm, I am, Chandler has never seen this before. I've, I've had a little bit to, to, to digest this list, and I think we are, this is an equally uh, interesting uh, series of picks compared to last week. Last week we did uh, Kermode. Mark Kermode. 
film critic. Um, and so, without further ado, Jonathan Rosenbaum. And let's just, see. I'm I'm not going to say what he voted for. I just want to see see uh, Chandler's face. Let's take it a second here. All right. Uh. Oh no. Oh no. I I won't lie. A lot of these I haven't heard of. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because greed is on here. <laughs> it's one of those lists where one you haven't heard of anything. So yeah. What what are you doing, Jonathan? And two, you voted for greed. Um, so Jonathan, here's your open invitation to come on our podcast and let us know <laughs> why greed is is as good as you say it is. I would love to hear. Wow, that okay. So uh, here a few interesting picks. Uh, first of all, history of cinema is that a movie? It doesn't have a year. The uh, Jean Luc Godard thing. Yeah, it's interesting that there are some movies on the BFI list. That is, Histories du Cinema uh, is on the BFI list. It's something we, we will watch eventually. Um, and it may be... Really? Okay. It may be a over-the-course-of-time kind of thing, because it is a mini-series movie kind of thing, um, in the vein of Showa, sort of. Maybe slightly... Oh. Maybe slightly less than... A, uh, as contained as Showa is, because Showa is a movie, but it is long and it's split up into parts. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, History Do Cinema is is Jean Luc Godard's video essay movie thing on on the history of cinema. Obviously, um, hmm. I'm not sure how, why, what it's doing on the BFI list, but it's there, and it is one of the few movies. There's like four or five. Where for as I was going through the BFI list to to put together my spreadsheet of who voted for what, yada, yada, yada. Um, there's like five movies that like don't have a link. Like whenever you go to a movie, it says this movie, here's the year, here's a summary. Yeah. And it shows you it, it placed X on the critics, X on the directors, see who voted. And this is one of those movies where you don't you can't see who voted for it there's no link to go to it as you can see on the jonathan rosenbaum's um little uh voting sheet here it it is on the bfi list it just you can't click you can't see who voted for it you don't know who or how many and um i'm i don't know what to do with those movies (laughs) i don't (laughs) pickpocket was one of them so he voted for it to go through the list. I don't know how to pronounce that. I, I don't. I don't have a Quadigjuk uh, Vampire by Pera Portabella. 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 Per. Pera Portabella. Our American is showing yeah, from 1970. Uh, Greed, 1925. Eric von Stroheim. Histories du Cinema. John Godard. I was born, but Yasujiro Ozu. Or is it? Is it? But I was no. Okay. Wait. Hold on. So this. Uh, I'm just going to stop as we go along okay, here yeah. because this is interesting. I was born, but I, I have not seen this. That is very early Ozu. That is early Ozu. And one of the things I think is is most interesting about this selection of films is that he he has chosen a bunch of, for the most part, except for whatever that first film was, uh, he has chosen directors who are all on the BFI list. Yeah. But often he has chosen movies that are not on the list, like lesser known ones. Um, 
I Was Born But is a great example. He chose that one, that Ozu film over all of the other ones, over Tokyo Story, Late Spring, um, you know, Good the Morning. Two that, <laughs> good Morning, <laughs> Autumn Afternoon, uh, Tokyo Twilight. There's just a bunch. I'm not sure why I went with that one, but uh, interesting <sighs> choice. Uh, next film, Ivan from 1932, uh, Alexander Dovenko. I don't know what that is. I, I don't know. Never heard of it. Sorry, uh, Alexander. Rear Window. Sure this is good. possibly uh, the most recognizable film on this list, uh, along with uh, Satan Tango, 1994, Bellatar. These are two, those two, plus History Do Cinema and Greed are the only four that appear on the sight and sound. So four out of 10 appear on the, uh, the list, final list. Oh my God. Uh, we are going to have to watch Satan Tango, huh? Spione. I don't know. I think it, it looks Italian, but it's actually a German film. So I don't know how to pronounce Fritz it. Fritz Lang. Yeah. It's Fritz Lang, which is interesting. Never heard of this film before. And now I want to watch it because Same. I am a, uh, a confirmed lover of, um, Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang, Dr. Mabuse, the gambler, which is a four hour silent film. M. And I thought, well, yeah, I'm just. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. I'm drawing for people who might not know that, which is a crime, silent crime thriller, which is extremely long. And I think one of the best silent films I've ever seen. Um, this is a. Almost essentially a three hour long spy thriller from Fritz Lang interesting and it's silent and now i'm i am very curious i think fritz lang is just continuing to prove that he is a uh he's like the 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 kubrick of silent early cinema we're like you know how like kubrick made one film in each genre and then kind of moved on and yeah. did something else he's just fritz lang's just making a film in a genre and moving on and doing he, something wait else. fritz lang did metropolis right yeah he did science okay, fiction did a spy thriller did a gangster film, did a serial thriller, killer. serial killer thriller. A lot of a lot of like early prime early examples of of cinema of of the genre come yeah. from Fritz Lang. What a guy! Interesting. What a guy! Incredible yeah. man. Now I've lost Jonathan. There we are. Uh, the wind will carry us from our good friend Kiara Stami, which is interesting. I haven't heard of this one. I haven't either. This is another example of a, a very well-renowned re and revered director, and he picked one of the lesser-known ones. And uh, Jia Zhang Kez, 2004, The World. Never heard of that. I, I, I know of the director, um, mm. but I, I'm not familiar with this. It's one of the, the more interesting picks. I wonder what else did... Uh, did he do ah touch of sin okay i'm aware of that ash is the purest white okay oh i'm, I'm that's aware new of isn't it yeah 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 okay jonathan rosenbaum interesting uh interesting picks uh very kind of out of the box um i again i'm gonna say it i appreciate the individuality the, the willingness to go out there for kind of lesser known films from famous directors like kirostami ozu uh, Fritz Lang. Um, really though, Man's flexing. Really though, this yeah. is this is like these are the the ten best films ever made. 
And, you know, I will say it again, keep kind of saying it. This is a result of, of the BFI saying, okay, you can vote for 10 movies and then people assuming that everyone else is going to vote for the classics and then they vote for mm-hmm. stupid things because they, they want to show them the light of day, which I understand. No one cares. And is a result of bad voting uh, policies. It's interesting, though. I don't know what I would pick for my 10. I guess I never mind. I know exactly what I'd pick. I just go in my top 10. And, and maybe maybe if you were to if you were to list out those top 10 right now and we were to return to it like 10 years later and give it to some random person, be like, what the fuck are these movies? Yeah, that's true. Maybe. That's true. Who, who knows? Haven't even seen 2001 yet. It's also true. All right. So that's <laughs> that. Cringe. Gonna take another sip of my coffee. Did you get coffee? You got coffee. But what'd you get? I did. Yes. I got my stupidly complicated order. Do you want to let people know what that is? Share yeah, the love, or you can keep it just, secret. I keep it. I, secret. Well, keep it no, safe. I'll, 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 I'll share because I, I want people to be turned on to this uh, great concoction. But at the same time, Brendan Sanji keeps making fun of me about it. Uh, and it's just so I get an iced coffee. Typically, I'll do either um, uh, a grande or a venti cup. Doesn't matter. That's feeling venti today. So I basically get four shots of blonde espresso with ice, two pumps of white mocha, two pumps of cinnamon dolce, and heavy cream. It tastes like a cookie. Wow. One of, the, one of these of days, I will, uh, I'll text you for that, and, and I'll order it, and I'll, I'll let you know what I think. thing about it, though, is that you have to go to a Starbucks you trust, because if they even half as it, it'll taste like shit. Interesting. Interesting. I, I risk high reward. I usually, uh, you got me on this one, the uh, <laughs> yeah. venti vanilla sweet cream cold brew. Uh, I'm good. not usually one for, for sweetener and, and all that kind of stuff in my coffee. I like good old black coffee. Uh, I do too, is, but you know. This is something I like. It's good. And, and you, you were the one who uh, introduced me to it, which is pretty good. Um, but I have found that every, every Starbucks I go to, and even there's variation between uh, the baristas at Starbucks. It's, it's slightly different every time. Sometimes it's you know, a little, human little beings, more coffee, Jacob. a little more ice, a little more uh, vanilla sweet cream. It's interesting. I never get the same yeah. experience. Which is good because I feel like the first time you had it in that Starbucks in L.A., that was that was probably one of the best I've ever had. Uh, it was pretty good. So it's good it that good. that first one, right place, right time. Yeah, this is a good one this morning, too. I've had some bad ones. We're just like, all right, I'm yeah. halfway through. I'm done. Yeah, exactly. Movies I've watched uh, quickly. I'm going to go through it. I watched Flowers of Shanghai, which if you remember from last week is was one of my my blind pickup from the Barnes and Noble sale. It is a extremely slow movie. Um, I, I probably knew that going in. I think I've seen another movie by the same director, Stray Dogs, if, if I have that correct, um, which was also very slow. Anyway, so it's a period piece. It's all taking place in these um, like houses of prostitution in uh, late 1800s Shanghai. Um, the, the set design and the cinematography is absolutely exquisite. Uh, it is beautiful to look at on, in every frame. And the opening shot, is, it's a, like a 10-minute opening shot of the film, is beautiful cinema. Absolutely beautiful. The rest of the film is <laughs> an, in, an interesting exercise in kind of like this, this hazy atmosphere of... of um, 
this unreal atmosphere of this period film and it's it's got characters and part of it is is it's hard for me as an uncultured american to, <laughs> to sometimes recognize who is who and keep track of everyone because there's a, yeah. like a couple different women who all have interesting stories going on and and there's drama and you need to know who is who in relationship to who because they're all having drama um for for one reason or another and it kind of lost me here and there and um it is a film uh, that is interesting i'm glad i have it i'm glad i'm gonna return to it and it's a it's kind of like a a little uh, little time capsule not necessarily time capsule but like a style an aesthetic capsule of uh, an interesting uh, experiment in film hmm. and um yeah i'm not sure i got a lot out of my first viewing and i'll be interested to uh to return to it i wasn't fully zoned in entirely mm-hmm. um swing time another criterion i picked up this is a a fun uh fred astaire movie oh that's right did you watch it with your mom watched it with my mom um the there's a dance the first dance sequence in the film you know I, i've heard a lot of great things about some of the other dance sequences in the movie uh, but the first one is the best one they're all great they're all a lot of fun <laughs> um and quite you frankly hear that fred I was waiting for like, all right, get the plot out of the way. Let's let's get to the dancing. Um, but it, it's kind of like it's a musical, essentially, except instead of singing, it's dancing. Right. And one of the common, not the common criticisms, but one of the common issues with musicals is that people just stop like the plot stops for a song to happen. Um, and occasionally the film is, is guilty of that. Like, Things stop for people to dance and do beautiful things. And that's Sounds awesome. That's fine. Um, but I would have liked some more um, plot and character development worked into that dancing sequence, which is why I think that first one, um, which is, you know, it comes, I think it comes like 25 minutes into the film and you're waiting and it's really interesting build up to it. And then you finally get um, a dance sequence uh, with the lead with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. It's, it's like their first time together. Um, it's great. It's great. And just for that, <laughs> um, it is yet another thirties uh, film where I don't know how you probably haven't watched as many as I have, but it seems like a very no. common trope in the thirties where a wealthy, somewhat wealthy, well-off person is slated to marry another wealthy, well-off person and then meets another girl. And the whole film is realizing that they don't want to marry that first one and instead want to marry the second girl. This is His Girl Friday. This is Bringing Up Baby. This is Holiday. This is Swing Time. I could go on. Criterion's released a great many of them. I think it was just a trend in the 30s where that's just... It could could just be like one of those things where, you know... Yeah, those Dust Bowl residents who want nothing more than to just uh, get out of their reality for a little bit. So let's go as far as you can. I suppose, but it seems kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know, like almost insensitive. Like this is the Great Depression era and yeah. there, there's like these glitzy, glamorous fo- uh, pictures. And like, who's relating to this shit? This is this yeah. is like. This is Hollywood being in like its own little bubble. And uh, this is perhaps. I feel like at the time, though, it was still film as a medium was still like sort of unique and new and they didn't necessarily need it to be 
you know, related, uh, relatable. Yeah, I, I think that's it's a bit of me in hindsight projecting onto onto that. Yeah. Era. It is weird, um, though. I agree. It's weird. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things about the film. Swing time is that there is a blackface scene, um, which is very interesting. <laughs> it is perhaps Wonderful. one of the most racist things I've seen on film. And it is uh, oh, astounding. It is astounding to watch. It's, it's a whole uh, Fred Astaire does a, a get up. He has the face uh, on and there's awesome. there's other deals. And one of my favorite things about the Criterion is that they realized, oh, well, people are going to watch this. And they're going to wonder what the fuck's going on. And so they included from a, uh, a film scholar talks about that scene as one of the bonus features. And I, I found it to be very enlightening. OK, and I was very happy they included that. Did they do one of those Looney Tunes things where at the beginning of the movie? They said different time. This is a different time. No, no. I feel like most people who get or buying criterions just kind of understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, swing time. It's a fairly, fairly standard plot. I've seen the plot and the jokes done better, but the dancing was fun and uh, Fred Astaire and everyone did did a good job. Uh, then I watched regarding uh, essentially the last thing I'm going to say um, is regarding the Criterion sale is I said to myself, I'm not going to get a box set unless unless I finish watching the Fellini box set, which I purchased back in February. And I think it's a fairly good practice to say one box set a year unless you finish that box set. Is the Cassavetes box set not a box set? Okay, so sixty. We're, we're, it's like, different. Yeah, because like if I got through Criterion's, that would be the same amount of money. Yeah, I know you're right, and you're right. Whatever, you're right. Hey. I'm, I'm just rationalizing right. my my spending. Um, so I'm I'm doing my best. I probably won't finish the the Fellini box set, but I have made some significant progress. Um, to the point where I'm I'm optimistically hopeful. Um, but at the very least, maybe <laughs> maybe next in, in November uh, for the flash sale or for the Barnes and Noble sale, I'll, I'll get something which we, we didn't say this, by the way, um, uncut gems getting a criterion and I'm shitting my pants. It's it's pretty great that the whole um, October announcements from Criterion is a plus one of the best announcement months I've seen in a while after a few like slow months, months where I've like, yeah, like I've last month in particular. Things. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I watched, uh, I, I briefly spoke about it, uh, La Strada last week. Um, good movie. It's not necessarily my thing from Fellini. Uh, this week I watched, uh, I will do my best to pronounce it, Il Biadone, which is one of uh, Fellini's lesser seen works from his earlier years. Um, Il Biadone translates to The Swindlers uh, from 1955, and it's about uh, three uh, con men who con poor people out of their savings and then live high on the on the town and it is a, a interesting little morality tale and it's about each one coming to terms with their uh their villainy their morality either accepting mm. it uh trying to reform or, or whatever and it was it was very it was a pleasant surprise um after watching Lestrada, which i i just it doesn't Lestrada just doesn't grab me but this one really grabbed me and I think it has hmm. both one, one of Fellini's most interesting opening sequences. Um, and it, it, it has a brilliantly brutal ending for Fellini. And uh, it was great. It was great. It was like uh, the, the, you know, there's some movies where you're like, you wish the filmmaker went far enough 
like explored the topic and the topic was clearly leaning towards something they weren't mm. prepared to, to do, this does it. And it was great. Great. Mm. Um, well shot too. Um, and then I rewatched uh, the other night, uh, Knights of Tiberia, which is great. Um, I, I slept on it the first time I watched it and I, I really enjoyed it. Second time, um, it's about uh, down on a luck prostitute in, uh, in Rome. And it is it's interesting. These earlier years of Fellini, one of the most interesting things is his. Um, he comes from sort of a, a neorealist background. And so he's often. Uh, but as if anyone's seen his later works, eight and a half, uh, he is a very much uh, wildly creative is a way of saying that, which is entirely antithetical to the neorealist movement. But there is an interesting fusion of the two in his earlier career where. He often has um, interesting, lively characters who are kind of above the the grit and turmoil of uh, Italy during that time, um, and that juxtaposed with that grit, turmoil, poverty, and everything. So there's an interesting um, balancing act between the two, and I think Knights of Cabiria is, for me, his best, the best work of his early films, juxtaposing this. Uh, the main, the lead, her, her vibrance, exuberance, her um, individuality, uniqueness, very Italian, very lots of shouting, <laughs> yelling, don't want anyone's help kind of Italianness, um, juxtaposed with the the plight and the religion and all the lots of themes you find in La Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half, but in the more kind of subdued and uh, neorealist adjacent um, expression that that Fellini. Uh, leaned more into in his earlier years so hmm. good movie nice still need to see more Fellini. you've only seen the one although every every day at work i just because uh, that's where i have my um la dolce vita criterion just sitting at my desk at work why is it I there brought it home ah i just never brought it home um and every day i look at it i'm like i should just keep it i should just keep it <laughs> but we'll see could 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 be worth a lot of money someday Never know. Could be. Uh, the only I, I only I'm only going to talk about two movies here. Not even no, not two movies. Two things we'll say. Uh, first of all, uh, I watched Polyester as I just talked about. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it is really really funny. If you're if you're wanting to get into John Waters, I I'd say start here because it has all of the tenets of his style. Um, really funny dialogue. Uh, really unglamorous filmmaking and hilariously over the top performances, but it looks nice. It's 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 restrained because it works in the studio system and there's a complete story. It doesn't just turn into chaos. It does, but in a fun way. The basic story is that Divine plays a woman who suspects his, her uh, pornographer husband is cheating on her. She is. She becomes an alcoholic. Um, uh, she finds out her son is a um, a wanted criminal known as the Baltimore Toe Stomper. who's just a guy who goes around stomping on women's toes. <laughs> uh, her daughter um, has an abortion. It's just it's very funny. Um, it's it's super over the top. It's very consistently funny. Um, and it comes with a scratch and sniff card and it's a little interactive thing. It's just there's 10 little scenes throughout the movie 
where a little number will come on the screen and that'll correlate to which number you scratch and sniff. It's got a lot of great special features on it. Definitely recommend. And the only other thing I'm talking about, it's not a movie, but I did finally finish Doom. Ah, the book. Yes, you you the mentioned book, this. This is Doom. this is uh, I lent you a copy. A while yes, ago. Yes, a while ago. <laughs> a while when did ago. I do that? Did I do that? Uh, I want to say it was. I think you actually lent it to me when we went to the Tucson Film Festival. That's what I was thinking. And the only other yeah. time I could possibly think was when I drove up to Phoenix for Nothing with Nick Johnson, the, the 2019 yeah, recap. It might have been that. One of those two. One of those Either two, way, yeah. late 2019, early 2020. It's been a while. And I, I, I'm really bad with this. Just books that I start, I get very close to finishing, and then I just don't. So over the last two days, I've just said I'm done with this. And I sat down and I finished four books that I was very close to finishing. Um, Dune being one of them. And uh, let me just say, it's a very good book. I don't know how I'm I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I don't know how it's going to be a movie. Because hmm. so much of this book is internal monologues reflecting on things you didn't even see happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, which does yeah. not <laughs> cinema make. Yes, I think the. I'm interested to see how it it, it is turned into two movies, um, yes. because I think there there's plenty there, like in terms of plot, and I, I'm really curious to see like the the very beginning of the House of Trades. Not a, is it House of Trades? Yeah, Duke. Yes, the Duke. Yes, House of Trades. Them move uh, going from there, their home planet of. Uh, Carradine, something. Yes, uh, from there to Arrakis to Doom, and then the subsequent betrayals and stuff like that. I, I think that's the majority of like what the plot of the the movie coming out. This is the first half. Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah. That that seems like there's enough there. But you are right. Like it's an interesting style of like there's there's so much history and inner monologue lore. and, and yep. lore. It is the it's. It's somewhere in between like the writing style kind of leans into um, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, but the the plot and the uh, uh, twists and turns lean more towards like Game of Thrones type stuff. But then it's like a science fiction. So it's like a mixture between Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones and Star Wars all together. Yeah. And I love that. And I'm very curious to see what they do with the uh, the adaptation. Yeah. It feels like to me that the first this movie that's coming out is I feel like it's just going to end with um uh, uh Duke Leto Leto or Leo Leto or Leto, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I always forget. I feel like it it's it would have to end with Leto being killed. And another thing is that I'm you know, I'm looking at all this and I'm like it it it's it's all it's all a very good book, but it doesn't start getting really interesting until the second half. So I guess the the burden that the movie has is being able to properly set up everything and make you want the second half, because, you know, especially Paul, Paul doesn't really do all that much until, you know, his father is killed and he leads the Freeman, the Fremen. Yeah, I think it, I think it probably will go to. Maybe a little, a little until at least Paul meets the Fremen. Yeah. And, and finds them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it is, 
Dune is coming out October 22nd on HBO Max. Uh, well, I'm seeing it in the theater. I'm not. I have to. Well, yes, but to. I'm. I'm. Yeah. Well, for yeah. Uh, I I also want to say that I think the casting is pretty great. Just off of what I read, specifically Josh Brolin. I think he'd be a great. Um. Um. I already forget his name. Stilgar. No, Stilgar is Javier Bardem. Why can't I remember his name? Who? Which one? Sorry. He is uh, uh, Josh Brolin's character. He is the guy who plays the 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 pan. He's the musician. He runs uh, with smugglers in the later half of the book after Leto was killed. He helps Paul um, kill the 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 Arcanins. I forget his name. <laughs> God damn it. This does mean, though, that we can finally watch David Lynch's Dune for the podcast. We we can and we should. We'll we'll. Double feature it. Dune, David Lynch's Dune, and then and Dune <laughs> and Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Uh, th- there's a new trailer coming out next week. Oh, is there? I was just about and to say there hasn't been a trailer coming out. Is it? There, there... wasn't there some uh, some rumors that it was going to premiere out of competition as the last thing screening at Con. Yes, that was a while ago. I don't know if it's still happening. I don't know if Con's still happening. No, yeah, uh, but it I know... has been happening. It... Yeah, well, I, I didn't know when it ended. Um, oh, oh, so yeah. Um, oh, I don't know if you know this, but there is supposed to be a new trailer next week, and they were li- literally—I don't know if they were selling—but you can reserve seats to go to Harkins to watch the trailer in <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! Where where will this? This is like um, it's like next week. It's supposed to be happening. It's like movie DLC, or is it like a microtransaction movie theater? I, cool. I don't think I don't think they're charging you. I don't think they're, ch- oh, they're charging okay. you. Okay. Which, if that's what they're doing, I was going to go see uh, Taxi Driver next week then, anyways, so I might go see <laughs> Taxi Driver and the Dune So you, you go to see the Dune, <laughs> what, like a presumably like two minute, 30 second Dune trailer, you get a giant bucket of popcorn, you stuff your face as you're watching the trailer, and then it's done, and then you leave? Is that... I guess so. The business model. I guess so. Well, there's also a rumor that um, this will you'll also be able to see the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, Which that I don't I want that. I don't I don't either. That's interesting. I would love to see the trailer. But again, the trailers, it'll be released on YouTube. So why? Does yeah, it matter? It I, doesn't matter. I think the the it is an interesting marketing strategy to release the first couple minutes of a movie. They did it with the uh, recently a quiet place Two. they released the, oh. uh, the opening of that. Um, and I think it works best for films like that. Horror they films, films too. that are not like big theater events, things that are, are yeah. someone's waiting for. Like it's an original, I mean, it's, not original because it's a sequel but it's it's original content no one knows what it's about so you know you're not spoiling anything it's not like you're anticipating something but with like dune who in their right mind wants to watch the first 10 minutes of that just wait because i feel like everybody who would be super excited to see that would want to get the full experience i don't know yeah yeah that's the whole thing like getting watching it in the theater the first time all the way through no you know nothing. I I'm tempted to not even watch the new trailer. We're this Maybe close. Yeah, We're this close. True. I watched the Did first you... trailer because I had no idea when the the film was going to come out. So why not yeah. get hyped a little bit? But now, yeah, I think I might just avoid the trailer. Uh, do you did you hear the runtime? 
I did not. Oh, 155 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pretty meaty movie. That's what I would expect. A yeah. Denis has been doing that kind of two hour. See, I, yeah. Something. I want to see the trailer because more than anything, I just want to see Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron. Because <laughs> we only got that like one shot. And I want to see how gross he looks. <laughs> Gonna be great. He looks uh, absolutely disgusting in David Lynch's Dune, as you could imagine. I know. I've been looking at all the so, the pictures, and it's so gross. It's even stranger to watch in in person and everything. And you know, it's interesting. The I think I've mentioned this to you before, but my my biggest uh, criticism and love of the David Lynch's Dune is I, I lovingly call it a film that is entirely exposition. That's awesome. Because it's the whole it's the whole book, right? Yeah, it's the whole book. And I oh, I think the last time I watched it, I just said to myself, you know, I don't think I've gotten anything but exposition, at, at least a little bit in every single line of dialogue that exists. And it's it's fascinating just to see something like that. You are aware of uh, uh, of Hodorowski's Dune, right? Of course. I think we've we've just talked about that at the very least before. Yeah, because I'm not going to lie. Orson Welles Baron would be incredibly based. I mean, Orson Welles blank fill in any character here would be fun. Well, uh, there is another like cast thing I was looking through. Yeah, Mick Jagger, Udo Kier was supposed to David Carradine was supposed to be in it. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) Wodorowski's Dune is is like. It's like the uh, the Beatles, uh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, God, the the great lost films of, of like and. You know who's going to do the score? Hmm. Tangerine Dream. Oh, wow. Who did Thief and Sorcerer. Wow. Uh, these are like pop culture mashup ideas. Just like, I let's know. pull everything from everywhere. Who can we get? And let's make, let's adapt a very serious uh, classic <laughs> novel. And I, w- I want someone to do that. Like, what could, what kind of novel would, uh, like at some point in history, one of those movies where you just pick people randomly from everywhere. Yeah, I don't know what novel happen. though. I don't either. But which, by the way, you so you said you've only ever read the first book. Yeah. Yes, I've read part of the second book, and it just. Well, are you aware of anything that happens in the second book? Yeah. Yes, I, I've read a lot of the synopses on, on okay. Wikipedia and stuff like that. Because I, I want to read the second book just so I can see Paul's unborn son as a giant god worm. Crazy. Crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's Dune. Anyway. Should we get into the first movie? Yes, I'd be very excited to see that uh, coming up. So the movie this week uh, that we picked, the new movie. We are talking about a new movie. What fun. Those exist. They're um, back. The movies are back, baby. Back. So the movie is... No Sudden Move, released this year, obviously, 2021. It is uh, by director Steven Soderbergh, who, who just shits out movies like no one's business, and they're Whoa. usually pretty good. He excretes them. Excretes. Yes. He's, he's a workhorse. <laughs> he excretes quality movies. Um, he does. It stars Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, uh, mm-hmm. John Hamm, uh, Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Frazier. Julia Fox, Ray Liotta, Ray Liotta. Yeah, lots of uh, interesting, interesting cast members in this film. Very so this was uh, recently Kieran released. Culkin. 
recently released. It is on HBO Max uh, to stream. And it it's a, a period film from the 1950s in Detroit. And two gangsters are hired to do a uh, job to get a, a document. And things go south. And then they have to figure out who, who wants the document, why uh, people are after them. Things, <laughs> things happen, double crosses. Lots and, of things uh, happen. The document is found, and it is uh, it eventually all ties back into the uh, the catalytic converter, and it is somewhat based <laughs> on a true story. Uh, at least the broad history brushstrokes, not necessarily the details. Cause yeah, yeah. There was uh, a lot of uh, uh, shenanigans from the car industry uh, back then. Real stuff. I did some some research on that. To, I wanted to see how much was actually like based in reality. It's actually kind of uh, kind of very interesting. The uh, the hmm. lengths that corporate uh, Detroit, the car industries, conspired to prevent the catalytic converter to uh, uh, from becoming on market because they wanted uh, short term profits at the expense of people's lungs and air quality. <laughs> and still, some people say, for fuck's sake, some people say, I'm sorry, I got, I got very angry. Um, heard someone say the other week that. It makes no sense that companies would destroy the environment because why would they destroy their own? Uh, that would destroy their profits. And I'm like, have you even seen history? Do you even know what companies are doing right now? <laughs> like, this is the most ignorant take I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. Like, it, like <laughs> it makes somewhat sense if you just say it in a vacuum. Like, oh sure, a company. Why would the company want to destroy the air quality? Because that would kill their customers. Uh, but then, but then you realize reality is a much different story. Anyway, that's my rant on the people who don't understand that companies are destroying the environment. Anyway, no sudden move. Chandler, what did you think of it? I liked it. It was a nice throwback. I felt like this is the kind of shit you'd see in the 70s. It was just a, a, a straight up noir. This is a great just like it's time to go to the movies. You're just going to watch yeah. something. You're not, you know, it's not going to it's not going to stick with you for a long time. It's yeah. not anything great or it's not bad. It's just it's just a good time. And I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, flaws, positives, all of that is it was good. I'm, I'm happy, happy to have seen it. I I the cast is great. I love that Don Cheadle was doing the Putney Swope voice. <laughs> <laughs> the, entire, the entire time. <laughs> yeah, cast is it's really just, great. Like and they're was, all great, too. I was so happy as as a. The the mummy was one of my big uh, films growing up. Like there's there's eras of growing up. Like yeah. you have you, you you watch a lot of kids movies and you have your favorites of those. And then you get a little older and then you get into like the more action adventure stuff like that. And the mummy was was one of those big kind of touchstone movies of uh, growing up. And so always loved Brendan Fraser. Always knew he was not working anymore because he's a. Uh, not a great actor, let's just say that. Um, but I yeah, was very, no, he's very he's fine for what this he is does. the first time I've seen him in a, in a while in a new movie, and he is. Well, he's going to be in the new uh, Darren Aronofsky movie. Is he starring in the new Darren Aronofsky movie? Wow, wow! I don't know if you heard the synopsis. I wouldn't look at it now because it's very depressing. I did. I, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting seeing he's quite large in the film. Is that is he actually that large, or was that uh, added? Yes. <laughs> ah. He is that large, and again, that factors into the new Darren Aronofsky movie. Uh, mm. He was very much 
looked and sounded like um, Orson Welles in Touch of Evil. <laughs> a lot of vibes of that. Yeah. And, you know, he's in it just enough. Everyone's in it just enough. Hmm. It's like one of those hmm. movies where there's no real main character, though I guess you could say it's Don Cheadle. It and, and Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. 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 It, it follows them as like a duo. And, you, you, you know, it's one of those one of those classic movies where like you don't know who to trust quite you don't know everyone's double crossing each other there's lots of ins and outs everyone's double it's crossing uh, each other. it's it's a bit uh big lebowski it's, it's hard to follow yeah in terms of things lots of things are going on you're not always sure exactly um and i i perhaps would have liked some more uh oomph from like the character relationships um, to keep me grounded because um, then I can deal with lots of like confusing things going on as long as I'm like really into characters and for the most part I was just interested in keeping up with like what the fuck's going on not so much yeah always invested in, in Don Cheadle and, and Benicio Del Toro even though they were great giving pretty good performances and all that yeah it's it's all very solid I'd say the only like really great standout scene I loved the uh, the beginning home robbery yeah, the the first op- the opening sequence and like the first half an hour of the film really like grabbed me. And that's what kind of like kept me going throughout the entire film yeah. and through all the twists and turns. It was the really solidly executed opening, introducing all the characters and then the the opening uh, crime heist robbery. That, well, that opening heist, I don't remember how well you remember this movie, but it's one of my new favorites. It's very reminiscent of the Friends of Eddie Coyle, mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. home invasion scenes, even with the same masks, too, which I mean, I thought the the look of it, I mean, Benicia Del Toro, I thought he his black suit with a white tie and the white mask. It was a very it was, it was a great look. It was. I don't yeah. know how Pretty, very well that mask design. was. Uh, I don't know how well that mask was disguising his face. <laughs> I did find it funny that the masks being itchy was just a thing. But like that whole sequence, um, it's really great because it's 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 a lot of little subtle storytelling things. One thing that I thought was great was when um when Kieran Culkin, good old Wallace from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And also, by the way, Kieran Culkin is getting typecast as that guy who gets killed early. <laughs> yep. I, I always think of I him at of the beginning Fargo of Fargo season. Bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh it's it you know there's this little moment at the beginning of the little home robbery thing where the mother is comforting the son or whatever and the son is like are they going to kill us and the mom's like no if they wanted to kill us they wouldn't be wearing masks and then you know uh, Kieran Culkin takes David Harbour out doesn't get the stuff in the safe comes back and when he comes back he has the mask off and he's just walking into the house that's one of those things where like David Harbour's like your mask and he's like I don't need it and and it's it's a little thing where you're like oh fuck that then, is a that I'm, Mm, great example of yeah. visual storytelling like you don't need to be it Amazing. doesn't need to be explained to you and it it's i really love these kind of robbery crime scenes where it's not so high energy of where like people are breaking in and like shouting and like, get on the ground pointing guns at people it's very it's a low energy like um especially like the beginning and like building up a series of tensions like it's going it's going too easy you get this feeling of like something's gonna go wrong somewhere um, yeah. And obviously you feel um, not uh, on edge because of the family. It's it's a family and there's kids and all that. But they're all they're all very three of them are very polite. They're like just a quiet everyday morning. What are you going to do? <laughs> just going to make breakfast. And it's 
I appreciate that. Get, that choose a cereal. Yeah, that unique take on you know a yeah. home invasion robbery kind of thing. And then of course it gets when he comes back without the mask on. Then the, the tension really ramps up, and it's a great kind of ending cap to that that whole sequence. Yeah, it's funny the the ending. Uh, did you ever see? This is my letterbox review for the movie. But did you ever see um, that? Dear Sister SNL short from way back in the day with Andy Samberg and Bill Hader. I don't think I did. No. Well, it's basically just a digital short while Bill Hader and Andy Samberg are just having a conversation. And then in the middle of it, Bill Hader, like it, it just cuts to Bill Hader shooting Andy Samberg. He's holding the gun out like this. And it's just a picture. And it set, plays the song What You Say. And then it, the whole skit is just like every 15 seconds, a new character is introduced. They do the same thing where they shoot the last character freeze frame to that song that's what the last 30 minutes of this movie was everyone was double crossing each other everyone had a gun pulled out um julia fox was this close as getting typecast as the woman who gets away with all the money which i thought was kind of funny um yeah towards the end i really didn't know what the fuck was going on um uh, i do all always love when matt damon comes out of nowhere <laughs> yeah it was it was fun in this it was it was um distracting but in a, in a good way sort of like he, he's he's built up as this kind of yeah outside of the the main narrative and i think that the the cameo type casting of this big famous actor as this big head honcho guy and finally like the top of yeah. the ladder is is interesting i enjoyed his it felt like on paper that that scene was trying to be sort of like the ned Beatty and network type thing Mm, yeah where you just have an actor come out and does a monologue out of nowhere but matt damon wasn't really selling it no he, i don't know he I just feel like he kind of need to be bigger for that part yeah um, it was kind of it was kind of low energy for a big it wasn't quite the climax like that came uh the scene after that but it did feel like it wasn't like too quiet where it's building tension towards what's coming and it wasn't yeah. too like important to kind of be be interesting and and direct your attention to itself yeah i also thought it was funny i don't know i'm sure this was just a a, a clever easter egg a little gag uh but don Cheadle and benicia del toro throwing ray liotta into a trunk i thought was kind of funny <laughs> ray liotta it was good to see him i was not for a second unfortunately sold by his performance and him on no, screen but i enjoyed seeing ray liotta. i like him yeah, I love yeah. Ray Liotta. It, it yeah. was more of just like, this is charming. We I just rewatched. Uh, we just did uh, Goodfellas. So here he is again in a gangster film. And it's, it's just fun. <laughs> a little, little yeah, throwback. The, I feel like that was very purposeful casting. It's just there's there's little things that bother me on paper, but none of it really matters because this is just fun. It's yeah. a fun movie. Yeah. And part of it for me, at least, was the one, the setting. I think they, they nailed 1950. Pretty oh, great. yeah. Um, but also the the mood and the atmosphere of the film, because it is at, there's it's not like consistently amazing uh, like in your face lighting and cinematography, but especially like near the beginning, there's some really interesting cold blue shots that it opens on. Oh, yeah. And throughout the film, there's just these these moments of, of atmosphere that really kind of sell the time and the place and get me really invested. As I stated before, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Thief. Same. Great example of, of a <laughs> film that creates atmosphere and a time and place. And that that you know, alone can draw me in. Um, and in particular, the there's a great atmospheric cut between 
the the failed meetup at the hotel between uh, Brendan Fraser, Don Cheadle, and Benicio del Toro, and it cuts outside to where it's suddenly like raining. It's dark and there's these street lights, and it's it's a very mm-hmm. just great like that that just puts you in like the crime, the uh, craziness of plot and everything, and it just sold the whole world. And it's reminding me that I still need to watch Fargo season four. Mm. Yes, yet again, another reminder. That. Damn. Yeah. I've been watching uh, some okay. people who are are finally discovering Fargo. Uh that on, oh, nice. On YouTube and and you it's know, great. it's great. Yeah, everyone everyone loves it. Yeah. Um now here's here's we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Okay. How do you feel about the fisheye lens? I I really enjoyed it. Like that's that's another example. And it wasn't it's not a fish eye lens i think it's, it is it's more it's a of very a, wide anamorphic very wide anamorphic which distorts the edges of the frame and it's not particularly noticeable unless the camera's moving especially if it's panning yeah you get this this thing where like the the edges of the screen start moving faster than the center of the screen i love yeah. that just as piece of like film history and even though it's shot on digital that kind of sold the period i agree um well there are some parts where it looks distracting especially in the beginning where it's just you know the credit sequence is just don cheeto walking through detroit mm-hmm. when he goes left right f- to the frame to the right and you know he just it, again those edges when he walks across those edges and it really distorts it it looks odd um i thought it was a, just a, a very interesting stylistic choice and i listened to a podcast recently where that steven soderberg was on where he explained it and his explanation was a non-explanation um it's one of those things where i think my context w- of the director because i really like steven soderbergh mm-hmm. i think he's just one of those guys that all he wants to do is innovate and try new things and i appreciate that about him um this is something he tried i, I don't know if it works all the way but i appreciate that he's constantly evolving but again you know because it is shot on digital but the period detail is so accurate the 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 dialogue the whole concept itself is very throwbacky and that anamorphic style definitely did help and it does look nice especially there's some scenes where they're just sitting in a car and the anamorphic lens sort of distorts the frames of the car mm-hmm. really nice mm-hmm. it's good it's good look the the end of the film um didn't oh that was kind of funny <laughs> it, it was funny but it didn't it didn't work for me as like an ending really and not that it necessarily was unsatisfying, just like I, I, I wasn't there for for all of it. Like I felt like I had missed something, and I probably did. Uh, but with like Don yeah. Cheadle, spoilers, uh, surviving at the end, like that other gang group, like it just felt a little disconnected, and I wasn't sure like how that ties in. What's the point? Um, there's yeah. some other things where like his uh, Benicio del Toro's. Uh, girlfriend betrays him and i would be like okay great that's another twist and turn but i, I it wasn't like a resonant kind of thing like it wasn't built up or set up other I than seen it coming yeah. Well, yeah other than everyone's betraying each other everyone's only in it for the money and and that's like like it makes sense in terms of like a, a stylistic thing it's like the film is very much about people being self-serving and they're only out for themselves and they're just what's in it for them money wise yada 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 um and so like that is a logical uh through point for that that idea um but i would have liked some 
more uh, setup to that. Yeah. I I need to think about it more. I need to understand what I see in this movie thematically. And then the next time I watch it, so I watch it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll do a little through line, see if it all connects. But um, I, the ending itself, I do agree that it didn't necessarily culminate into something uh, uh, larger. I suppose than, I should uh, say I it, it all connects. It just yeah. not necessarily emotionally in an emotionally resonant yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but I do find it. I just I do find that final scene funny where Matt Damon's getting all his money back and he's trying his best not to look surprised. <laughs> Because <laughs> he gets even more money than he <laughs> lost, which I do find funny. I also love John Hamm. Yeah, John Hamm's great. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. The other thing was yeah, bottle brandy. The one of the things that's really kind of calling me back to to want to rewatch the film is this subplot with the the family that we follow for a bit in the film that felt perhaps a little underdeveloped, but also perhaps it's it's saying something and it relates more to whatever Soderbergh's yeah. trying to get at um, about like family dynamics in the 50s and all that and you have the kid and you have the husband and his wife and I felt like there there was it was in the movie enough where it needed to have some more resolution or some more point to it and maybe there was and I think I want to rewatch it just to kind of see if that that subplot works works better or if there's more of a point to it um, that would have at least for now, I just get the sense that that either needed to like drop off and you need to focus yeah. on Don Cheadle and Benicio del Toro, or it needed to have something more kind of resonant on the whole thing. Still good though. Nice. Yeah, yeah, still good. It's All a good, good movie. Definitely yeah. recommend it. I definitely do recommend it too. In terms of uh, new movies, it's uh, it's a solid one from this year. Yeah, pretty solid. Not bad. Let's move on to the next one. Take it away, Chandler. The BFI movie of the week this week is uh, Woman in the Window. <laughs> no, it is Alfred Hitchcock's 1954 film Rear Window, um, starring Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. Uh, it's classic. It's about uh, a man named. I always forget his name. Jim Jeffries. Yes, Jeff L.B. Jeffries. L.B. Jeffries. Uh, I don't know why I said who Jim. is. <laughs> just i wanted to say jim lb jeffries who is a uh, photojournalist who is uh, uh currently or temporarily indisposed he's got a broken oh. leg and he's jimmy stewart jimmy jeffries there, there and then is. i kind of put there those together yeah uh he's a photojournalist with a broken leg who uh s- spends his days uh chilling in his apartment spying on his neighbors and uh he and his girlfriend think they witness a murder Dun, dun, dun. This is, of course, it's classic. A, a Alfred Hitchcock classic uh, to I always forget to do this and I'm not going to forget anymore. It is <laughs> number 53 on the critics poll and is number 48 on the director's list. So it's OK. Uh, so that's pretty, good. Pretty close it's together. Both, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I tend to think that, uh, you know, there's there's a variety of ways that you can organize the the voting and the lists. And one of the we'll talk more about this when we when we do a, a halfway through summary. Uh, but one of them is like the difference between the critics and the directors. And the I tend to think like the less difference between those two, the more like consensus there is about the film, that it's at least worthy of being on the list. So I think this is this is a movie that has a lot of consensus behind it as being one of 
the the all-time greats even though it's like it's mid-tier in terms of how yeah. everyone voted yeah. for it but at the very least everyone did consistently vote for it mm-hmm. uh i don't know how you feel about it but this is my favorite hitchcock so a little little background on uh on the film in general uh hitchcock of course i think needs no introduction is one of the most uh talked about and revered film directors uh, of all time. Um, And he had a excellent, excellent run. Legendary run. Of movies, uh, particularly from 1954 to uh, like 1960, um, when he made dial in for murder rear window to catch a thief um vertigo vertigo psycho north by northwest all in like the series of like five six years absolutely lots of lots of movies that are are now classics some considered some of the best ever made it's pretty good the birds too that's the the cap i love the birds on that that era um Rear Window. Yeah, I love Rear Window, of course. I've, I've long been a fan of Hitchcock. It is, however, of the, of the big four, I'm going to call them. Uh, Vertigo. Psycho. Psycho. North by Northwest. North by Northwest. Rear Window. It's my third favorite. I still, I still have issues with Psycho. Um, what? What? Third? No, no, it's, just, it's just funny. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. The the two above it, are the two above it Vertigo and North by Northwest. Vertigo, North by Northwest, Rear Window, okay. and Psycho. Psycho. And that is a, I think, a pretty interesting list because typically either Psycho or Rear Window are higher, and North by Northwest is lower. Um, the thing about, see, mine would go Rear Window, Psycho, Vertigo. Yeah. The thing about Rear Window is that it's it's not a film that is, um inspired love from me like it's not something i i go back yeah. to that i find i'm drawn to or really entertained by um not that i don't appreciate it but that's it it's just i i connect with other and i enjoy watching yeah. vertigo and north by northwest more than i do rear window and that's not a criticism it's just why it's not my my favorite as it is yours mm. why is it your favorite um, I think a, a huge part of it is that obviously the concept is good. It's a very good concept and you can tell because it's been copied multiple times. Um, most egregiously m- recently by Woman in the Window. It's it's you know, it's one of those it's a movie about paranoia, voyeurism, that kind of thing. Um, it's one of those that I think really balances the 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 paranoia with the possible really well. I feel like most movies that attempt this kind of concept don't lean uh, there's a there's a misbalance there where it's either painfully obvious that what you're seeing is happening or painfully obvious that the person is just paranoid this thing i think balances it really well um i also love the the theatricality of all of it because it all takes place in his apartment in that neighborhood the like it's just one set yeah this is i think if if I were to, to be making a list of, of like best movie sets of all time, 
This has got oh, yeah. to got to be one of them in terms of it's it's it, this whole like it's an apartment block and it's like this central atrium of space and a little alleyway <laughs> and you get like just a little barest glimpse of the street and the world outside and the diner right um, back there yeah and yeah it's incredibly theatrical and like it's not meant to to be realistic and yet it is like I want to say like the apartments and everything have a very like realistic feel to them and there's a world to it, but they're all like framed in this, this way that is very it's like a dollhouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got like the painted backdrop of the sky and the, the, the world beyond sort of, and it's just an excellent piece of set design and, and an excellent place to, to have a movie take place of just like, you're in Jeffrey's apartment for 90% of the film. Um, and you're just looking out onto the set. And of course, that has to, the set has to be interesting in order for it to be, yeah, for, for it to work. Because m- most of the film, you're looking out. Occasionally, you're looking at Jeffrey's. Um, and it's an immaculate sense of geography. It is uh, an, one of those movies that proves that you should take the time to set up where everything is, where everyone is. And it's it's one of those movies where like I can I know where all the a lot of the extras or a lot of like the side characters. You don't know their names, but you know yeah. where they are. Like I could almost feel like I could draw or I could explain what the what their houses, their apartments look like. You know, you got the musician up there, you got the the dancer, you got the young couple and Despite like they they have like their own little cameos and little stories going on. And I feel Mm. like I can. Explain and I can visualize. Those side characters stories as much as I can the main story of the film, and it's one of the few films where I could say like I like the side plots are just as as memorable and engaging as the main point of the movie. Well, another huge part of why I like this is that it's it's like it's visual storytelling at its purest form like the beginning like five six minutes where you're just looking through different apartments or whatever um and again it's the mystery is so compelling because it's not you're not getting these little shreds of evidence out of context where you have to sort of connect the dots between what might have happened while you were away you get to see everything you you are in his position you are seeing everything as he sees it it's very suspicious or maybe it isn't um the mystery is very compelling and i still think it's one of the most like the last 20 minutes is just masterful suspense it one of those movies where every time i watch it i I was very it was very suspenseful the first time i watched it but every time i subsequent viewings it gets less suspenseful and less engrossing on that level for me like it it it's not so much of a thriller anymore as it is yeah. just a straight drama. Like I, I'm, I'm surprised as someone who likes, uh, this may come off as a criticism. I don't mean it as well. <laughs> this is a shit mystery. There is no mystery. Um, other than, and I think you, I think you, you nailed it on the head when you said like, there's a good example. It's a good balance of, of paranoia versus like, did, did the murder happen or did it not? And it is a very good balance between those two things. And, and there's no real question of who or um, or if like there's one moment. Eventually, 
it, it the, hits a point where you know for sure right that but there is a moment happen. that i think hitchcock does sell when both uh uh jeffrey's and grace kelly's character what's her name lisa lisa where they lisa. Are, they they are uh disheartened and at the prospect of well maybe he didn't commit it and I, i'm yeah. not sure the audience is totally sold on that which is good because you don't want to yeah. lose that but it is uh you know it the man murdered his wife and it's just a matter of like how are they going to prove it and all that and so for me the mystery or at least the thriller element of the of the film it has had diminishing returns on subsequent viewings um not because not because there's not um it's not good or well made yeah but just because i'm more familiar with it and there's not anything to read into it or anything like that but what does have or what has had more um engrossing uh, and interest held my interest upon subsequent viewings is the relationship between jeffries and Lisa yeah. and Grace yeah, Kelly. Uh, quite frankly, this is not exactly one of my favorite uh, Jimmy Stewart performances. And I think Grace Kelly is the one that really sells the film because she is just wonderful to watch. And it's really like the film it, this time around, I really noticed that the film is really about relationships. Yeah. And talking about that. And it's it's sort of a love story. Like under the undercurrent of the whole thing is is Jeffries is just kind of like he's fed up with being stuck in his home. He wants to be out adventuring, and he's not sure that um, uh, Lisa can can go toe to toe with him. And the whole film was about him learning that uh, she has she's got a lot of spunk to her and a lot of uh, chutzpah, the Yiddish <laughs> phrase. And that was like that's that's the stuff that is interesting, and their relationship is what kind of brings I, me yes, into the film I agree. Every time not the not the mystery it's well so much of this movie is just if it's not if it's not jeffrey sitting in a room watching other people it's him talking to other people and those early conversations jeffrey's with his like uh his his live-in nurse or whatever jeffrey's with uh lisa they're great the dialogue is great the rhythm is fantastic you learn so much in so few words but to go back to your point about the the suspense not necessarily holding up for me it does every time. It's just as suspenseful every time, specifically the scenes where Lisa goes into his apartment. Yes. Because, yeah, there again, this is an issue I had with uh, um, Woman in the Window, where <laughs> I felt her inability to act wasn't necessary. I mean, I believe that she had agoraphobia, but it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, the human spirit can triumph past it to an extent. Whereas Jeffries himself, he literally can't. He has a broken leg. He is he cannot move. Um, so when you have those scenes, those scenes in particular where uh, she's struggling with the man and those shots of Jimmy Stewart just panicking and there's literally nothing he can do. And those yeah. scenes to me are always super suspenseful. And also this movie is actually pretty fucking scary at points. Like for a 50s movie, for a thriller, there's some really scary parts of this movie. I love the little shots when whenever the guy when the guy starts to realize that he's being watched and he shuts off all the lights and he's mm-hmm. just smoking and you can that's such a great shot. Uh, there's that other shot too well, where that, that starts earlier in the film, like before he even knows he's being watched. He yeah. there's parts where after he's he's murdered uh, his wife, 
he just sits in there he's just smoking and it's not necessarily because he knows he's watching anyone but it's just he creates this air of mystery and and menace without ever getting close to the character uh also the the um there's that one scene where i think it's shortly after um lisa breaks in or whatever after like she leaves and jimmy stewart just has this giant lens or whatever and he's super close up of the guy and then when he just eventually finds out what's going on and looks directly into the camera that's scary that that, that is, is a great scary. that like that's scary in terms of like building up thorwald but also because of the way it's shot and the yeah. editing and like the terror jimmy stewart sells it like that's why i think one of the better moments of acting from him in the film and that works like the last <laughs> the last it does really like vamp up the the tension and the thriller aspect of it does work for me at the at the end but it, you know it's mostly a drama for me that like also no country moment where you just look at the door it's dark in his room mm-hmm. you just look at the door and you, it's ah. just yes do you think that do you think they is, is that just like um in no country for old men something that they were like oh this is a smart idea or were they purposely doing a a rear window not uh i don't know the coens aren't very cheeky with their like inspiration yes but what um it, he does jump out of the rear window of his um that's true hotel room. that's true coincidence that's true <laughs> could be i just uh, speaking of coens i just for some reason, the, the 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 bad guy reminds me of that guy who runs the studio in Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. Looks mm-hmm. like him. But then that also got my mind racing of a version of this movie where you're watching Cy Abelman. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you didn't murder. Can, him we, can we get the Cy Abelman cut of uh, Rear Window where we where we someone replaces Thorwald with uh, Cy Abelman? Here's the, here's the other thing that doesn't. Um, you were very upset to see that I didn't give it five stars and I, I'd given it five stars. I'm cringing. And perhaps it's because I'm watching a lot of murder mysteries as of late. Oh, yes, yes. But it's I, I find. Beyond the fact that the the thriller aspect of it doesn't thriller and mystery aspect of it doesn't engage me until maybe the very end. Um, the other thing is, I don't find Thorall the particularly interesting uh, aspect really? of the film other than wow. other okay. than like this, this. Menace this murder as is like a plot element like he seems more of like a, a classic hitchcock MacGuffin as a character rather than anything interesting because oftentimes when i'm watching murder mysteries i the thing i love about them is the psychology behind like why is someone why was someone murdered and we never yeah. get any answers about that we never know anything about him there's no that's fun though there's no return <laughs> yeah but there's no like increasing returns and there's nothing subtle to like, yeah. hint about why or anything like that and it's just you know we get to the end of the film and it's it's a brilliant piece of of suspense when thorwald yeah. finally confronts uh jeffries but i also find like his his uh performance when he's finally in front of the camera i'm like well i'm glad you stayed away from the camera for the majority of this film <laughs> i'm not sure you could hold the scene yeah that's interesting and i like him uh, he works more of as as a presence and i kind of find yeah the one of my favorite parts of the film and i think is a really fun filmmaking moment i'm not sure it's like it, it's it's somewhere in between like brilliant and campy and it's the the part where jeffries is obviously spoiler alert 
um, is is using the flash bulbs yeah. to 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 stun him, and the, the little the little lighting effect is like, <laughs> it, 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 I'm not so little red yeah. at all by the performance or anything, but I don't need to be because it, it's it's a brilliant little uh, in camera, maybe not, it's not an in camera effect, but it's a brilliant effect, and it's it's fun. It's a fun uh, yeah. concept that is, um, stylistically kind of old fashioned and in the best way possible. In a charming well, well, the only VFX thing that I'm like, oh, really, is when Jimmy Stewart falls off. The- <laughs> it looks so bad. <laughs> it's funny. It looks terrible, but it's funny. But again, going back to this, I agree that on paper it's a shit mystery. Like again, you you frame you structure this like a typical murder mystery with an able-bodied detective. And, you know, it's like the equivalent of you you suspect a guy of murdering someone you go to their house and you see him dump some trash you go through his trash and he's a pair of bloody gloves like obviously there's no mystery there and i agree that it's sort of similar in that there's no real hesitation but i think what sells it is not necessarily the mystery but how it's presented the voyeuristic part of it being able to see it all in real time Mm -hmm. does make it a lot more interesting and because it hmm. well i'm just saying it just it puts you exactly in his shoes you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, like, think about what he's feeling. You're feeling it, too. And that's why I think the character, even though he's not, you know, the most interesting character on paper, works really well for me because he's not a character. He's an idea and he's an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. And perhaps to reiterate, it's just the the aspect of it that I find interesting is not so much the mystery because, again, not a mystery. You know, Thorwald yeah. did it. You don't know, but you know. The mystery yeah. is, of course, how is uh, Jeffrey's going to prove it or how is it is he going to get away with it? And mm-hmm. the like the scantness of evidence. And I think the the other scene sequence that really sticks out to me every single time is when the murder happens. Jeffrey's is kind of he's doing his thing. He's looking around the apartment complex uh, and you hear the scream. And you don't know where it came from. And that's it. Like it's it's not treated as like this big moment or anything like that. You don't see anything. There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of ambiguity about what happened. Um, but then the sequence of him watching Thorwald on the rainy night go out again and again with his suitcase is great piece of atmosphere. A great piece of like subtle. Like that's a great like subtle mystery filmmaking. Like okay, he's up to something. It's just odd enough. He could be doing something different but like that i think again like the beginning of the mystery is really strong like there is some mystery there yeah but then it quickly becomes apparent that okay thorwald's our man and it's a matter of like how how is jeffrey's going to convince someone else that he did it yeah and that's that's interesting like it's not necessarily a mystery more so uh uh Whatever that is. Well, see, my 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 again, I, I'm not saying that you're saying that this is a, a criticism, but my counter argument to this is think of the 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 opposite story. Think of the the dumber version where not only is Jeffrey's trying to prove uh, that Thorwald did it, but he's also trying to convince the people around him that he did it. I think it'd be much more annoying of a story if the whole time that the shit is happening grace kelly's like you're crazy or his nurse is like you're crazy i find it interesting that they get on board with it pretty quickly and it it i don't know it makes it more comforting i feel specifically when they're cooperating and helping they're going over there to help them. yeah 
it would be I, much more annoying if it's a perfect it there's a perfect amount of time where they don't believe him yeah and then the you know when uh grace kelly finally she's like you're full of shit and then she's like oh wait a second this guy's a creep something something's <laughs> up here and yeah. she's like instantly on board with it and that's great the other thing because it is, also proves her character yeah know, yeah can, yeah um another like side character thing and to go uh, kind of further develops the relationship uh, aspect of the um, of the movie, because everyone ends up in a relationship at the end to a certain degree, uh, is the nurse. Great. One of Hitchcock's great little side characters. She's not yeah. like a, a huge part about it, but she's a lot of fun. She's fun. Especially she's in the beginning, she talks about how like her husband and her um, and their relationship, as opposed to like Jeffrey's and um, Lisa. Um, but at the end uh, or like throughout the film, you can tell she has like a morbid curiosity with a lot of this stuff. And she's talking about like, oh, there must be a lot of blood. And Grace Kelly's like, do you have to mention that? And then at the very end, uh, I love got a little laugh out of me where the detective is like, oh, we found was it the murder weapon or. Yeah. Oh, oh, we found something in the in in his house. Would you like to see? She's like, no. And she just gives like a little look I'm like maybe I do. <laughs> great little great little acting and, and a, another example of how like all the little yeah, side it, characters are just as interesting in this and it also speaks to this this greater idea that every we all have that morbid curiosity we all have that sort of that's why true crime is so popular because even though we're disgusted by the actions we're intrigued by them and the fact that you know she's all on board even though she's not the typical person you'd think would be interested in this kind of thing that does make it a lot more fun and, you know, also going to atmosphere, there's so many shots of this movie where it's it's very simple. It's just shot reverse shot. Jimmy Stewart looking out at the apartment and you go from apartment to apartment. And I just I love the sound design mm-hmm. because it's that diegetic like street noise, people talking. You can hear the street below or behind all these apartments. But you also have the diegetic piano or sometimes it'll be just a radio playing some things. And it's really combined with him just looking that sort of hazy sound atmosphere. It's just, oh, it's wonderful. I love to live in this little area for, for bits at a time. It's, uh, at least on the top of my head, it's one of those movies that a lot of films like try to create a sense of community, but this is a film that really like you, you get a sense of like the vibrancy and the life in this place, in this apartment building. And like, even though no one's really interacting with each other all that much. Yeah, no one's the, neighborly. There is a sense that like these people live here and they're all together. They're a part of this this apartment complex in this this block of the of uh new york and great great moment when they finally all like come together when the dog dies i mean not a great moment for that but when yeah I, when she starts like yelling about all, all other neighbors like which one of you did it none of you are real neighbors but then like there's a sense of connectedness even though everyone is so disconnected from each other and that's it really sells that and i think the, the thing i like about rear window to reiterate not so much the mystery, not so much the 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 thriller aspect of it. Yeah. But it's just like it has a really like slow and steady pace. And you get to know Jeffries, you get to know Lisa and the detective and everyone. And everyone has little thoughts and feelings. And you get to see all the different characters and their little arcs and stories. And it's just it's one of those movies that like it feels like a complete world. So much so that a lot of films don't they try and they never really accomplish yeah also fun little payoff is at the end when the the ballerina's boyfriend finally returns 
and he's little Alfred Hitchcock Jr. <laughs> I, was I almost like, um, oh, his cameo is good in it, too. Yes. yes, it's not one of the more distracting ones. The her boyfriend reminds me of. God, what can name? Ah, no, Rick Moranis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From Ghostbusters specifically. Oh, also, you know, talking about just the, the slower pace of it. Um, I all I I know uh I'm very interested in the craft of screenwriting. And whenever I'm watching movies like this, I always try to think of, you know, how how would this screenplay, how could you sell it today? Does it really fit what most people think of the three-act structure? And what I found interesting is that, you know, obviously the inciting incident, that's the the thing in the story that kicks off the story. Um, the the quote unquote inciting incident of this movie doesn't really happen until 30 minutes in. And typically you want it to happen like the first 10 minutes. And I would say it's like a dual thing of um, Jimmy Stewart getting broken up with for a day. Sort of. <laughs> of where right, Grace Kelly. Uh, or of like establishing that he's not necessarily he doesn't have like a full commitment to the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also the first time where you see something suspicious happening in Thorwald's apartment. I don't remember what it is specifically, but it's the first big like red flag. I just thought it was interesting because that whole first 30 minutes, it's very compelling, even though technically nothing is happening. It's just Jimmy Stewart talking about his girlfriend to his nurse, then talking to his girlfriend and then his girlfriend leaving. That's mm-hmm. all it really is. But the dialogue's fun. The atmosphere's fun. The filmmaking's fun. You don't even notice. It is a slower movie technically, but I've never like, it, no, it's, it's the it's... fastest slow movie. <laughs> yes. I'm it, like, as someone who loves to complain about pacing, this is a, an example of like a slow movie. It's not in a rush to get anywhere, but is, is every single moment is, is vying for your attention and is interesting and is well filmed and is consistently like slow moving until the very end when it really like ramps up and then it doesn't slow down until, until the uh, conclusion of the mystery. So I think it is a extremely well paced film, as Hitchcock tends to uh, tends to do. Tends to be pretty well, pretty good at uh, accomplishing the the pacing of his of his movies. Um, yeah. So yeah. So the question is, does it deserve to be on the BFI list, Sight and Sound? I'll say yes. I'll just say yes. Do I want to be a contrarian? I think the answer is going to be no. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it's it's gonna be like lower on the the totem pole for me, uh, but yeah. like simply because of like the the execution of it, the the setting, the uniqueness, the the storytelling just beyond the main characters and all that, the world, atmosphere, everything. Yeah, doesn't work for me as a mystery or necessarily as a thriller, but it works on on other levels for me. It's a great movie really well made. hey that's all you need that's all you need yeah good old alfie i'm sure what do we got left we got at least well definitely vertigo any of the other two psycho north by northwest uh yeah we we have psycho and then we have north by northwest north by northwest is sooner rather than later i'm excited about oh, okay, that interesting again it is i do i you, you are a casey grant fan carrie grant carrie grant oops <laughs> I don't know why I said Casey. Carrie yeah. Grant, yes. It's hilarious in that. It is a <laughs> one of my, my favorite spy 
thrillers, but it's more of it's kind of like a spy comedy thriller. It's weird. Like it's I love it. It's the most fun in terms of like all of Hitchcock's films. It's the one I like watching the most. Okay, not necessarily the one I like the most, but unfortunately, I still only got to see the first two minutes before HBO Max crashed. Lovely application. <laughs> uh, let me uh, I suppose I'm, I should have mentioned this before we had our conversation, but. Rear Window is available on uh, Amazon Prime to watch. Is it? Oh, okay. I bought it finally. Good. Uh, I actually, I will recommend this uh, box set. Alfred Hitchcock's ah, yes. limited edition, the essential collection. I'm not sure if they still sell this or, or wherever, uh, but this is. It's the big this is an at least excellent box set in terms of bonus features and everything and if you can get your hands on it i highly recommend it because every single one is like a quality criterion level of bonus features um like every single one has multiple behind the scenes uh, video essays interviews all that kind of stuff and and often there's there's things about like hitchcock's craft in general not just the film and every not not one of these doesn't have six or seven interesting uh, bonus features um hmm. rear window vertigo north by northwest psycho and the birds it's oh great, it's the birds okay great set highly recommend it um if you can find it anywhere um yeah there's a there was a uh bonus feature one of them i watched was a conversation with the uh, the screenwriter and his how he worked with hitchcock to write that's on uh, the, rear window. the blu-ray i have oh for cool. rear window yeah, yeah. give it a watch yeah yeah so recommend it. wonderful ah uh, so next week on the podcast um we'll probably check in with the criterion sale again whether or not we buy yeah. anything i'm not necessarily planning on anything but that best laid plans are often uh fail in that but we should watch uh for the bfi lucino visconti's the leopard which i have and it is okay <laughs> The only reason I would have I would have uh, come to this this episode and saying, what are we going to watch next? And I would have said Sancho or or when uh, Leopard or given a few different options. But this is leaving the Criterion channel at the end of the month. And oh, OK, Perfect. it's it's longer and I think it's going to be hard to find elsewhere. So I think it, okay. it would be best to to get that done. How long is it? Uh, almost three hours. OK, yeah. Italian film. Yeah. Uh, the only uh, Visconti film uh, I've been looking forward to a rewatch of that. So, uh, yes, in terms of movies we're watching beyond that, I don't know. I have no idea. There are a bunch of interesting things on the Criterion channel. We can do a decide norm. at some point. Oh, it's got uh, uh, Alain Delon, who we know from uh, Les Samurai. Oh, is he the main guy? Main guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought this was I thought you said this is uh, Italian. It is. He's French, He's French actor. Yeah. Oh, okay. well, gotcha. uh, he joined by uh, Claudia Cardinelli, who you might know from Once Upon a Time in the West and a few other movies. And it also um, has kind of see him on the front cover there. Good old Burt Lancaster. Oh, and one okay. of my favorite things about it. I didn't mention this with uh, with Fellini, um, but this is also the case with uh, Visconti. Is Italian directors for some reason love casting. They don't care. Like they can be Italian, whoever. They're just casting someone in their film. And then often they dub over it with someone completely different in Italian. 
but the performances of um Burt Lancaster, um Lestrada is a Polini has a the one of the main characters is a American actor. So very interesting. Weird. Um this is Weird. just a style of Italian films that um they kind of, from what my understanding is, they view acting in terms of like a physical presence on film as different from like the the theatricality of the voice and everything. And there's they they Weird. have some separation between That's those two odd. things. So I'll be curious to see what you think. There is a English cut actually of this. Obviously, we're not watching that one. Um, no, I don't. That's okay. But the leopard, Lucina Visconti, will decide on another movie. Um, thank you for uh, listening. Let us know what you think of Rear Window. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm right. Tell Chandler. Tell me I'm right. That he needs to rewatch uh, Andre Rublev at some point. <laughs> um, oh no. Maybe for this podcast, whenever we get to that. Um, and until next Ooh. time, uh, give a like, comment, and subscribe. That'd be pretty epic if you actually do like it. Of course, don't wanna don't wanna force you into anything you don't want to do. Um, and yeah, tune in next time. Uh, and uh, thanks for watching. Thank you.